Good morning, everyone. It is great to be together. He's risen. He's risen. He is risen. How good to be together on this Easter morning. I'm so glad uh, that you are joining us uh, this morning at this 9 a.m. service. We've, if you've been with us, we've been journeying through the season of Lent for the past 40 days. And what we do in Lent as Christians is we embrace the brokenness and the frailty of our lives and of our world. And today, as Timothy said earlier, we're coming out of Lent. We're celebrating Easter in this Easter season known as Easter Tide. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be coming out of Lent. I'm so excited to be in this Easter season. And today we're going to look at the resurrection account in the Gospel of Luke. And next week we're going to begin a new sermon series entitled Living the Resurrection, where we will study portions of the book of Acts throughout this Eastertide season. But this past week, uh, I, I took a look back at my sermon from 2020, Easter sermon in, 2000, in 2020, two years ago, just to see where my mind and my heart were when the pandemic and all of the unrest began. And in it, I, I talked about the hope that we can have in the midst of uncertainty and the confidence that we have because God is working in the midst of crisis. Now, I did not know how long the past two years would feel in 2020. And in many ways, I think it has felt like we've been in Lent for two years. But I am confident of what I said then today, that great movements of God, great movements of renewal are preceded by times of crisis. That Mark Sayers, referencing Scottish minister James Burns, likens renewal to the waves and the tide. That when a wave crashes, the water ebbs and flows, but behind the ebb and flow, what is not naturally seen by onlookers is the power of the tide, carrying the current back out to the ocean, building and growing another and greater wave. That in times of crisis, what God is doing is not always naturally seen, but in his power, he is building and making his people ready for a new outpouring and an experience of his presence, which leads to renewal personally and corporately. So I am hopeful, church, on this Easter morning because I know that God is at work. A few weeks ago, I went and I saw the Batman movie. Uh, I actually got to see it in, in the IMAX theater. I'm going to try not to spoil it for those of you who have not seen it. But in this movie, a, a young Batman is trying to discern if it's better to inspire by fear or by hope. And at the end of the movie, Batman, also known as Vengeance, comes to the realization that hope and not fear is what the people of Gotham need. Listen to some of this monologue, his monologue at the end of the movie. He's on the top of a building looking out at Gotham, and he says, the city is underwater. And literally, it's underwater. He says, I won't change the past, mine or anyone else's. I have to become more. People need hope. To know someone's out there for them. The, the city's angry, scared like me. Our scars can destroy us even after the physical wounds have healed. But if we survive them, they can transform us. They can give us the power to endure and the strength to fight. So watch that. I thought, church, and all that has happened in our lives personally and collectively, all that is happening in our city and in the world, we can either be angry and scared or we can be people of hope. 
And Easter is about why hope is the way forward. That God has been at work transforming us, strengthening us in what it, at times has felt like we are underwater. But in Easter, we celebrate and we worship the resurrected Jesus, who is the victor over and the conqueror of death and the grave. And if he is for us, who can be against us? And so let's look at Luke's account of the resurrection in Luke 24, verses 1 to 12. I'm going to ask if you're able to stand as we give attention to God's word. This is the word of the Lord. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Will you pray with me? Risen Jesus, we need you to speak to us this morning in your power. And, and so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fall fresh upon this gathering. We are here because we want to hear from you. We are, we are here because we need to encounter you, the living Christ. And so we pray that you would bring to life the, the word of God that was just read, that, that our spirits would be quickened by your spirit so that our lives are transformed because you've been with us. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. Well, I have to admit that I'm a sucker for a story that has a surprise happy ending. A story where it appears that loss is inevitable but triumph prevails. It's even better when the story is true. Perhaps that's why we've become people who are drawn to documentaries because they're true, or, or we like when a movie says based on a true story. Well, Apollo 13, released in 1995, I know 1995, that's, that's old, it's an old movie. Uh, but it's a true story about three astronauts who are going to be the third crew to land on the moon. And they launched in the spring of 1970, but an oxygen tank failed in the second day of the mission and they would have to abort. And the crew tries to derive a, a strategy to return to Earth safely. And Tom Hanks, who plays Commander Jim Lovell, is trying to lead the crew safely back to Earth. And it doesn't matter how many times I've seen this movie. At the end, you're, you're left in suspense. It, it seems inevitable that this crew's going to die. They lose radio contact. And in the movie, you hear nothing. You're left waiting. And then comes the crackling of the radio. And Tom Hanks breaks through, hello, Houston. 
and the movie ends and the tears begin. <laughs> if you've ever been inspired by a story that has this sudden happy turn that leads to joy, to relief, to tears. J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, calls this experience a catastrophe. E-U, catastrophe. The sudden happy turn that leads to joy and tears. It's the turn in a story that resonates with something at the fundamental level of your heart. The longing, the desire for redemption and for hope to triumph over death and despair. J.R.R. Tolkien said that the resurrection is the greatest catastrophe. It was a huge surprise that no one saw coming. Out of nowhere, out of the grave, comes victory and vindication. And as a result, comes Christian joy and Christian tears and Christian hope that endures. But hear this, Easter is not a surprise happy ending for one person. It's not about a single event 2,000 years ago. It's not about a single day in history. Easter is the climax of history. It is the turning point. And so this morning, what I want us to do is look at Luke 24 and see how Easter speaks about the past, about the present, and about the future. Those are my three points, the past, the present, and the future. So let's begin with the past. Our passage begins with the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee, verse 1, going to the tomb at early dawn with some spices that they had prepared. What were they doing going to the tomb so early with spices? Well, they were going to the, to the tomb to make this rotting corpse smell better. Because here's the catch. They believed Jesus was dead. These women were not expecting a resurrection. The, the disciples themselves in verse 11 did not believe the words of these women about the resurrection because they too were not expecting a resurrection. So let me let you in on a little secret. In first century, dead people stayed dead just like dead people stayed dead in the 21st century. Death has not evolved from the first century to the 21st century. We're not more sophisticated now and the early Christians less sophisticated and more gullible, no. It was just as unlikely for a resurrection then as it is now. It's why verse 4 says they were perplexed at the empty tomb. They were confused, bewildered, dumbfounded. Three days earlier, they saw Jesus crucified on a cross, and now he's alive. And everyone had a hard time wrapping their minds around a genuine resurrection. So let me say this, that if you're here and you have questions, doubts, if you struggle to believe that Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead, welcome. The women and the disciples, those closest to Jesus, had a hard time believing this. There are many who are here this morning, Christians, who have a hard time wrapping their minds around a genuine resurrection. I know at times I can have a hard time believing it to be true. But just because we can be perplexed does not mean that Jesus did not literally rise from the dead. This day, Easter Sunday, we join with Christians all over the world as we just prayed. We join with Christians all over the world celebrating that Jesus actually rose from the dead. It's not fiction. It's not a fantasy. It's a historical fact. 
And much has been pinned in the past few decades about the historicity of the resurrection, proof of the resurrection, things like all of the details that are mentioned in the gospel accounts, the, the women being the first to see the empty tomb, the accounts of the 50 people who witnessed the resurrected Jesus, the reality that there was no category for the bodily resurrection in the first century, the proof that the church has exploded in growth in the first century and is still expanding all over the world today. The resurrection was simply not made up. It's true. Francis Schaeffer, who was a Presbyterian pastor, he decided at one point that he didn't want to be a Christian anymore. He had become greatly discouraged by all of the clergy, all the other pastors who had proclaimed God was full of grace and full of kindness, yet he experienced them to be self-righteous and extremely critical. And so Schaefer abandoned the faith and he started studying world religions and philosophies. And then he decided at last to read the Bible again from cover to cover. And he got all the way through and he concluded, I'm a Christian. And Schaefer said, I'm a Christian for one reason, because it's true. Now, I know there are many people who think the truth of a historical resurrection is not important, that it's the spirit of Easter that matters. Right? The president of Union Theological Seminary, Dr. Serene Jones, expressed this sentiment in a 2019 New York Times column interview with Nicholas Kristof. Maybe you saw it a few years ago. This is what Kristof began the interview with. Happy Easter, Reverend Jones. To start, do you think of Easter as a literal flesh and blood resurrection? I have problems with that. And Jones responds, when you look in the Gospels, the stories are all over the place. There's no resurrection story in Mark, just an empty tomb. Those who claim to know whether or not it happened are kidding themselves. But that empty tomb symbolizes that the ultimate love in our lives cannot be crucified and killed. Now, I'm sorry, Reverend Jones, who I'm sure is smarter than I am, but I humbly disagree. Because Christianity hinges on the historical reality of the resurrection. As the Apostle Paul says, that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are of all people the most to be pitied. So I have to ask you this morning, do you believe the resurrection was a past event that is true? If you don't, you have to examine the evidence and the historical claims. If you do, we have to respond to it. It demands a response. The resurrected Jesus is more than a moral exemplar. He did not rise from the dead to give us some good advice on how to live better lives. The resurrected Jesus is more than someone we admire. He did not rise from the dead so we can have someone who inspires us. If Jesus rose from the dead to bring salvation, we must submit our whole life to him. We must follow him. If this is true, you cannot set Jesus aside and pick and choose which of his teachings you like and don't like. The truth of the empty tomb proves his divine authority and it demands a response. It demands complete surrender and a wholehearted following. For 2,000 years, people all over the world, billions of people, have professed it to be true. And as a result, they have lost their life to find their life in Jesus. Right? The truth of Easter, it has caused many people to suffer, to be thrown in jail, to give away their possessions, to lose family, to be ostracized, to be martyred because of their faith. What is your response to the claim that the resurrection is a true 
historical past event. Easter is not just about the past. It's also about God working in the present. Look at verse 6. It says, he is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and must be crucified on the third day rise and on the third day rise. Now I inserted another must there because that's the emphasis in the original language in the original text. The must is important. He must be delivered. He must be crucified because Jesus' death was not accidental. It was not a tragedy. It was part of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's mission from the very beginning. The triune God determined that it would be through the death and resurrection of Jesus that evil would be defeated and death destroyed. Jesus would open the way for resurrected life for all who will believe and follow him. Romans 8.11, Paul says that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. This is the promise for us in the present, right here, right now. The same power that rose Jesus can rise you. That is our hope, brothers and sisters. Hope that there is a power that can bind up broken relationships. A power that can mend together torn apart families. A power that can heal broken marriages. A power that can build community and offer love to those who feel rejected and lonely. A power that can break the chains of addiction. That can set free those enslaved to the hurt of the past. It can bring wholeheartedness to those who are overwhelmed by shame. A power that can bring spiritual, physical, and emotional healing. The promise of Easter is that there is a present and active power at work in our lives and in this world right here, right now. Do you believe that? A few months ago, Rachel and I decided to go back and visit our counselor, a marriage counselor that we've seen since year one of our marriage, off and on. And it had been years since we had seen him. We decided, yeah, it's gonna be, it'll be good to go back in and see how we're doing, just get a, get a checkup on our marriage. And in our first meeting, he, he said this to us pretty immediately. He said, you both seem different. He said, Daniel, you seem softer and more gentle than you did five years ago. Now, he wasn't saying I'd arrived. He was like, you're not the most gentle person in the world. But he was saying this, I had changed. I was different. And my wife had changed and she was different. And that's what the resurrection lets us know, that change is possible, that God is able. And sometimes that happens in big, dramatic ways, and sometimes it happens in less dramatic, seemingly smaller ways. My point, though, is that the resurrection declares God is able. He is able to set you free from that sin you are struggling with. He is able to set you free from the shame that runs deep. He is able to set you free from that hurt and, and the wounds that you just can't let go of. See, Christianity's, it's not a moral system. It's not just one more world religion. It is the truth that Christ is risen. And the same power that raised Jesus is at work right here, right now. Today is not about dressing up. I'm in a tie today, all right? 
Not often. It's not about dressing up and taking photos and eating a good meal with family or friends or even coming to church so that we can say we came to church. It is about the power of the resurrected Christ changing lives. Will you surrender? Will you give him your pain? Will you give him your wounds, your shame, your guilt, your longings, your desires, and let him change you? Easter is about the past, it's about the present, and lastly, it's about the future. Look at verse 1. It says, but on the first day of the week, most commentators agree that on the first day of the week is this purposeful echo of Genesis 1. That on the first day, God created. The very thing Jesus is accomplishing in his resurrection is that he is ushering in a new creation. Through his triumphal power, light is pushing back darkness. Sin is losing its power. Death is rolled away. That one day, someday, what is true in heaven will be true here on earth. The resurrection points to the day when there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more decay, no more destruction, no more sin, and no more death. In the future resurrection, the dead in Christ will be raised. And all things on earth will pass through a refiner's fire, Second Peter tells us. And what God had intended Eden to be in the beginning, the earth will now be to its full. And we will see God face to face. And he will dwell with us and we will dwell with him in the new heavens and the new earth. A land full of love and beauty and justice and peace and kindness and goodness. What this means for us is that we now as Christians have direction and purpose in this life as we look to the future. We have a job to do. We speak, act, and engage in this world in a way that points people to the hope in the coming kingdom. We've been praying, as many have been praying, for the war between Ukraine and Russia. If you follow the news, maybe you've heard about the varying musicians throughout Ukraine that are protesting this war through their music. People engaging in acts of defiance through music. People holding out hope in a war-torn land through the beauty of music. Now, I'll go ahead and apologize for my pronunciation of these names, but I'm going to attempt to say their names. Maybe you've heard about the the seller violinist, Very Litovchenko who's been recording beautiful violin pieces from the basement of her apartment building. Her videos have gone viral, inspiring 94 other violinists to join her. Or maybe you've heard of the Kharkiv cellist, Denis Karakajevtsev, who's playing Bach Cello Suite 1 over and over amidst the rubble of Kharkiv. Maybe you've heard of the seven-year-old, Amelia Anisovich, whose viral, uh, video went viral when she was recorded singing, Let It Go in the movie Frozen in the midst of a bomb shelter. Or maybe you've heard about the rock star Slava Verkucic, who is the front man for a rock group who's been traveling all throughout Ukraine, playing in the midst of shellings and bombings, playing music for the wounded and the dying. Now, many people could think this foolish, but they are inspiring a nation. They are inspiring a world And what they are doing is that they are playing music in graveyards. They are protesting the death and darkness. They are protesting against the violence and sin. And they are offering hope of a better world. Easter informs the direction and purpose of our lives. 
We are to follow in these Ukrainians' footsteps. And we are to live lives of protest against the sin, darkness, and evil of our world. We are to point to a world, a better world to come. As we engage in love, in justice, beauty, and peace through our words and in our deeds, and we do this with our families, with our friends, with our neighbors, and our vocations in this city and around the world. In fact, what we're doing this morning and what we do every Sunday morning is a protest against our broken world. We are worshiping in the midst of the ruins. We are proclaiming to anyone who will listen that there is a better world coming. We hold out hope that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. And because Christ is risen, Christ will come again and he will make all things right. Death will be rolled back and all that is wrong in our lives and in this world will be made right. Brothers and sisters, this is what we do. We show up in the ruins, in the broken places, and we point to a better world to come. Easter is about hope. It is the day that holds together all the days, past, present, and future. The resurrection is the greatest new catastrophe. It is a true story with a surprise twist. Death seemed to win, but on, on that dark Friday on the hill outside of Jerusalem, but Christ would have the final word. He would rise from the dead and Christ and the kingdom of God win. Easter is about the past, present, and future. Christ has risen. Christ is at work rising the dead. Christ will raise the dead. Easter is why I'm full of hope. It's why we can all be hopeful that out of crisis, out of death, there is a tidal wave of renewal coming through the power of Jesus. And so I pray that the truth of Easter would cause hope to rise in all of our hearts, would cause us to long for the same power that, that rose Jesus from the dead to be at work in and through us, and that it would propel us to play music in the ruins and to point to Christ the victor over, over evil, sin, death, and hell. Let's pray. Lord, King, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Victor, the one who holds all power. Lord, we need you to be at work in our minds, even transforming us in our doubts and questions to believe that you are true and what happened three days after the cross is true. Lord, we need you to be at work right now by your power, healing and transforming us in ways that maybe we've struggled to believe you can for, for years or things that are becoming known and being made known to us, ways we've lost hope. Lord, would you give us hope? The same power that rose Jesus is at work in us. And Lord, we need to be pointed to the, to the world that is coming, the future resurrection. Lord, when every tear will be wiped away, all sadness be made untrue, death rolled back finally in us in your presence forever. Until that day, Lord, I pray we, your people, would point to your coming kingdom, that we would have acts of defiance against a broken world, protesting the brokenness of this world and pointing to your 
unbelievable rule and reign over us and in the world to come. It's in Jesus' name we pray.